thanks for being here. I'm Chuck Lee Master with Team Faith. And um, well, let's just go ahead and have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be at a racetrack to do uh, what you've put in our hearts to do. We just humble ourselves right now. We ask that you fill this tent. Give me words. Open our hearts and give us understanding for what you have tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a week ago, we were in Florida, sunny, warm Florida tonight, bundled up a little bit. But a week ago, we were down there and we talked about honoring God. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, God said that he honors those who honor him. And we looked at some real life examples of people that have honored God. And we also looked at the story of Eli who didn't honor God. And God said, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you told, hey, take me lightly, I'll esteem you lightly in return. And that's what happened with Eli. But there was truth in the fact that if you honor me, I will honor you. And uh, tonight, I actually want to continue that theme of honoring God. We looked a, a week ago, looked at honoring God by not compromising, by standing firm in our convictions. Tonight we're gonna we're gonna take this a little bit further. Talk about honoring God, uh, honoring God, and, and what we want to do. Well, I'll just go ahead and jump into it. This is in Matthew chapter twenty-five. If you've been around here for a while, we talk about the all that discourse quite often because I love prophecy. We're living in an age where we're seeing it unfold, like things are happening in real time. And uh, Jesus, his disciples said, hey, look at this beautiful temple. And Jesus is like, yeah, not one stone is going to be left upon another. And they're like, when is this going to happen? What are the signs? When are you coming back? And Jesus takes them through all of what we call Matthew chapter 24. And there are signs and there are things that you need to be paying attention to. And then he starts telling stories. And when Jesus tells stories, they're called parables. So Jesus tells a lot of parables. And he says, the, the coming is going to be like... Well, if, you, if, if the master of the house knew what time he was going to be robbed, he would stay awake. And the, the kingdom of God is like uh, ten virgins that have been invited to a wedding feast. And five of them have oil and five of them don't. And the bridegroom comes and only five of them are ready. And then he rolls into this, and this is in chapter 25. It will be like, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. You've heard this. It's the parable of the talents. To one he gave five talents. Another he gave two. To another one he gave one. Each according to their ability. And all my life, I have heard this preached probably a hundred different times. Like, yeah, that poor guy, he only got one talent. Do you know what a talent is? I didn't know what a talent It's a measure of weight. And so it depends. What is the talent made up? If it's a talent of gold... One talent is worth about $1.5 million. So it's not like the master was holding out on this guy. And matter of fact, Jesus isn't even talking about money here. He's just getting a point across. And so we'll continue on here. He who had received the first five talents, something, you know, incredibly valuable. He went at once and he, he traded with them. He made five talents more. So he invested and he, he made a profit on them. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received the one talent, he went, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. There was a day of reckoning. And he who had received the five talents came, bringing five talents more, saying, Here, master, you delivered to me five talents, and I've made five more for you. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the guy who had two talents comes along and he says, hey, look, 
You gave me two. I made two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll give you much more. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The third guy comes along. He's like, look, you gave me one. I'll just go ahead and read it for you. He says, Master, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you can have back what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents, for everyone who has more will be given, and he, he will have it in abundance from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, I want to continue the theme that we started with last week. Honoring God. Honoring God with what He's given us. Honoring God with the little things. Honoring God. Being faithful with the little things. And if you wanted to put a title on this message, you could say, Killing Lions. Which doesn't sound like a little thing, but stick with me here. We're going to go back to the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to go to chapter 17, which if you're a student of the Bible, you're like, oh yeah, this is like the coolest passage in the entire book, David and Goliath. Love this story. But keep this in con keep this in the back of your mind here. We'll let that simmer on the back burner. The parable of the talents, what we do with what God has given us, and open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Starts out this way, the Philistines were gathering their armies for battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. So in other words, the Philistine army had invaded the land, had invaded the promised land. They're in Judah, which is Israeli, Israeli territory. They're encamped there, and Saul, which is the king of Israel at this time, matter of fact, the book of 1 Samuel is about their first king. It's Samuel's the greatest judge that the people ever had, but the people said, no, nah, we don't want a judge anymore. You know, we want a king just like everybody else around us. Everybody else has a king, has a crown, has a, has a throne. He gets to make important decisions. We, we want to be like everybody else. And God said, Samuel, I know that the people, I know that you don't agree with this, but it's okay. I'll give them what they're asking for. And so Samuel goes out and he finds a guy named Saul. And it says that when Samuel found Saul, he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in the land. Very handsome, very kingly. Saul actually started off pretty good, but then he started to get a little stuck on himself. He started making decisions that weren't in line with God, really got a lot stuck on himself. We'll continue this. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. They drew up a line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on one side of the mountain and Israel stood on the other side of the mountain and there was a valley down in between the two of them. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. I didn't know a cubit is about tip of your finger down to here, about 18 inches. I don't know, a span is supposed to be the span of your, of your uh, hand right here. So about nine and a half feet tall, somewhere around there. Nine and a half feet tall, Goliath, a champion of Gath. Huge guy. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which is about 125 pounds. So like picking up a TTR-125, carrying it around right there on, your, on him. He had a bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. 
and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, which would be about 15 pounds. And his shield bearer went before him. Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come up to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself. Mano y mano. You versus me. Whoever wins this battle, then, then the other army will serve us. So if I win, you guys serve me. If you win, <laughs> we'll serve you. He says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul... And all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Can't say that I blame them. But Saul, the king, head and shoulders, taller than everybody else, commissioned by God to lead the army, is afraid. There's the context. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah, just given his family lineage here, uh, of the household of Jesse, who had eight sons. Uh, in the day of Saul... Jesse was already old. We've already heard about Jesse. We've already heard about uh, his sons. Matter of fact, it says the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. The names of the three sons who went into battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, the third was Shammah. If you look at the previous chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16, God had already told Samuel, the, the judge, said, I am stripping the kingdom away from Saul. Saul, I've had it. Saul's not repentant. I can't no longer work with him. I'm going to anoint somebody else. I want you, Samuel, to go to Bethlehem. I'll lead you to a house, and you're going to anoint the next king. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem. He comes to Jesse's house, and God says, this is the house. And so Samuel goes and says, hey, Jesse, I need to talk to your son. He's going to be the next king. I'm going to anoint him. And so Jesse says, that's cool. Brings out and names him by name, Abinadab, or Eliab, rather. Brings out Eliab. And Samuel looks at him and says, this is the one. And God says... Do not look on his appearance, on the height of his stature. I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel has to say, hey, this ain't it. You got somebody else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Abinadab. Nah, he's not the one. Well, there's Shema. Nah, he's not the one. Brings four others through. Seven of them. And finally, Samuel's like, ain't you got no more kids? The Hebrew to redneck. It's, ain't you got no more kids? It's like, well, yeah, we got the, we got the youngest, David. He's a shepherd. He's just a shepherd. Well, bring him out here. And the Lord says, this is the one, a man after my own heart. Samuel anoints him. And so now we've got Jesse's oldest sons, three of them. David the youngest. The three eldest had followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep. What did we just talk about? First Samuel chapter 16. He's just a shepherd. Anointed him to be king. Now there's a battle going on. The three oldest sons, they're warriors. They're out there. They're ready to fight. The youngest son going back and forth to feed his father's sheep. He's been anointed king, and he's still taking care of sheep, which is significant because David was faithful in a small task. This is the task. Yes, I know that there's more ahead of me. I know that God has more for me, but this is the task that he's given me today. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Honoring God, faithful in the small things. Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this uh, parched grain, ten loaves, carry them quickly, check on your brothers, bring back word for me. Now Saul and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Actually, they weren't really fighting. They were coming out every morning and looking at Goliath and they were going back to their tents afraid. We already read that. David rose early. In the morning, and he left the sheep with the keeper 
And he took the provisions and he went, as Jesse, his father, had commanded him. He came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry, <laughs> full of bravado. Yeah, we're going to kill him today. And then Goliath comes out. The Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. David left things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. He ran to the ranks. He goes out. He finds his brother. He greets his brothers. And behold, I love the way this is worded. Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, as if he has a herald there, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. And all of a sudden, David hears Goliath of Gath defying the armies of God. Send me a man that we can fight. And all the people around David are like, man, did you hear what Saul said? Saul said that he would exempt the family, anybody that can go and kill this guy, Goliath, Saul will exempt the family from taxes, give his daughter in marriage, give him lots of riches. And David's like, he's going to do what? And who's this guy over here? And he starts talking. He starts asking questions. Word gets around that he's asking questions. He says, who is this? David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him the same way, told it all. And now... And so shall it be done to him who kills him. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard David was asking questions. Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And in typical older brother fashion, he says, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart. You've come down to see the battle. And David, poor little David, he's like, What have I done now? I was just asking questions. And he goes off and he keeps on asking around. Big difference there between warrior big brother who has the title, who has the prestige of being the oldest, of being the uh, the one that the inheritance would pass on to, and David, who's already been anointed. Well, who would you leave those few sheep with? Well, actually, David took care of the sheep. He provided for the sheep. He left a keeper of the sheep. We already read that. that he, he made provisions for the sheep when he went to do his next task that had been put in front of him. Take provisions to your brother. See what's going on out there and bring me back word. When the words that David spoke were heard, they were repeated to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Anybody here ever grow up on Scooby-Doo? You remember the little nephew, Scrappy-Doo? I'll take him, I'll take him. That's exactly what it sounds like. Hey, let not your heart be troubled here. You don't, don't fail because of him. Your servant, I'll go and fight this guy. And Saul looks at him and says, uh, you're just a kid, David. You're just a youth. We, we estimate 15, maybe 16 years old here uh, when we put the whole timeline of David's life together. He's just a teenager. Says, uh, you're a youth, and Goliath has been a man of war since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him, and I struck him, and I delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Did you catch that? I took care of the sheep. And if a lion or a bear came against the sheep, I went after him. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but me, I'm a shepherd. A lion comes out for a sheep. Bon appetit. <laughs> Enjoy your meal. 
And David's like, no, man, I'd take him by the mane and I'd beat him with a club till he let go of the sheep. And if he turned on me, I'd kill him. And I've done this to both the lion and the bear. And it was my God who delivered me from both the lion and the bear who will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. And Saul said, David will go and the Lord be with you. But before you go, why don't you at least put on some armor and try out my sword here. You've got nothing on you. And so David does. He puts on, he puts a, he puts them on and uh, he tries and he straps the sword. He walks around a little bit. He's like, Saul, I can't do this, man. I've never practiced in these things. I haven't handled a sword like this before. I'm not used to it. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Five smooth stones. That's all he had in the shepherd's pouch. Go up against a nine foot tall giant who is armed to the teeth. A hardened man of battle. 2008. X Games. 2008. X Games was a pretty big deal back in 2008. It was, uh, it was hosted by ESPN. It was always live coverage. And uh, lots and lots of people tuning in to watch X Games. This was also, 2008 was kind of the height of the freestyle motocross craze. The freestyle craze that started in the 1990s with crusty demons of dirt. We've all seen that, yeah. And uh, it kept on growing. And freestyle motocross, uh, Carrie Hart ended up being the first person to ever do a backflip. But Travis Pastrana is the one that patented the backflip. Travis Pastrana was also factory Suzuki racer, gave up his racing career to pursue freestyle, which worked out extremely lucratively for him, became a household name. And in 2008, there was a question, is it better to be a freestyle motocross racer or freestyle motocrosser, or is it better to be a racer? What if X Games, what if we put the two of them together and we could figure out who's the best of the best in the world? And everybody said, yeah, that sounds like custom made for another gold medal for Travis Pastrana, but let's do it. And so they invited the best freestylers in the world, Travis Pastrana, Nate Adams, uh, Twitch Stenberg. Uh, there was a whole host of them there that were incredibly talented and practiced freestyle motocrossers. And they said, well, now we need the best racers in the world. And so they invited guys, I think even Chad Reed got an invitation and he wisely passed. He's like, dude, I'm a racer, man. I don't know anything about that freestyle stuff, hitting those ramps and trying to do a backflip. Uh, there was a Yamaha, one of the factory Yamaha guys got an invitation. Slips my mind. He was practicing for the backflip, trying to learn to backflip, and he crashed and took himself out, couldn't race the rest of the year. So that was like a no-go. To fill the roster, they started inviting some of the lesser-known racers. A guy named Kevin Johnson got an invite to X Games in 2008. Kevin Johnson was an arena cross racer at the time, a former supercross racer, arena cross racer. He won, he was very talented at racing arena cross. He also would do the um, intermission. They used to have a jump off contest at arena cross. And so Kevin Johnson would like, he would always win the jump off contest, doing tricks, hitting the, the catapult, doing tricks. Back in 2003, I think it was, Kevin Johnson had a moment where he said, God, I surrender everything, I give it all to you. Kevin Johnson became the Team Faith premier rider. 2008, Team Faith's Kevin Johnson got an invite to X Games. He's a freestyle rider. We would commission him to do freestyle shows, hit the ramps. We own the ramps, landing ramps, everything. But Kevin Johnson, he couldn't do a backflip. This is before everybody and their brother could do a backflip. And uh, 
got the invitation and Kevin said, man, this is an opportunity. This is a huge opportunity. If I'm going to go, I'm going to do my very best. So he goes to Chuck Carruthers play compound and he starts uh, backflipping into the foam pit and he gets the backflip into the foam pit. But every time he tried to do it to dirt, I think he tried it twice to go do the dirt and he'd splatter both times. Finally, it's August, August, 2008. Gotta go. No backflip. He's out there. He sees all the practice. He sees all these big names of freestyle, and they're out there. They're just doing backflips like it's nothing. And he's got nothing, he feels. And so he's in the Team Faith Motorhome. He's like, man, I'm outclassed here. I am totally outgunned here. I can't do the backflip. And Larry Dean, one of, our, one of our chaplains that would travel on the tours with us, sat him down, sat everybody down on the rig, and he said, look at Kevin, five smooth stones all you got man if that's all you got then you give it to god and you go out there and you do your best kevin the thing is god only needed one of those five smooth stones so you just take what you've got and you go do your best and you give it to god that kind of calmed him down he goes out there and he was the last place qualifier so in typical bracket fashion this is the way that speed and style worked in 2008 speed and style was two riders on the gate They'd launch, uh, just like motocross, they'd go around the first corner, they'd hit a rhythm section, then they'd come around the next corner, and they'd hit a metal ramp. Do a big trick, land it, race some more, hit another metal ramp, do a big trick, and you get scored. You get points on the tricks, but you also get points for how far ahead of your competitor you are at the finish line. And so Kevin, he qualified in last place, and in, in typical bracket fashion racing, like uh, drag racing, First, first uh, qualifier, last qualifier, come together on the line. Nate Adams, right there. Kevin Johnson, who's Kevin Johnson? Nate Adams, man, factory Yamaha, sighting lap. They go out there, Nate Adams, his YZ250 seized on the takeoff of the triple and he crashed and he was injured and his bike was wadded and he was out. Kevin Johnson advances to the next round. The next bracket was Travis Pastrana. This is the one. This is the. This is, this is the whole thing, man. This thing was built for Travis Pastrana to have another gold medal, like he needs it. When the rig, I wasn't in California uh, that that summer. Uh, I was in Tennessee. When the rig got back to Tennessee, I walked inside, and over the uh, sink was a whiteboard, and on the whiteboard, Chad Goodwin, Kevin Johnson's mechanic, had written, "If KJ hole shot, TP crash, KJ win." In other words, Kevin, if you can get the whole shot on Travis Pastrana, he will panic and he will wash the front end and crash and you'll win and you'll advance. What do you think happened? He got the whole shot. Travis Pastrana freaked out and he crashed and Kevin Johnson advances to the next round. Twitch Stenberg. Twitch uh, super talented. Got the backflips down, but not really a racer. Kevin waxed him. So he had so many points. Uh, because of the, the time gap that he advances. Finally, he's in the final round. He's in the gold medal round. Like this comes down. Ronnie Renner had also advanced and the commentators at ESPN were like, there were two guys that started this event that could not backflip. Those two guys are in the final event. Who would have ever thought this? The gate drops, Ronnie Renner whole shots Kevin Johnson. But Kevin Johnson in the, in the, in the, um, in the rhythm section, he triples out of the rhythm section gaps Ronnie Renner, Ronnie Renner throws a kiss of death, Kevin Johnson throws a whip, beats him to the finish line, gold medal. Kevin Johnson, who nobody knew, gets the gold medal on live ESPN. They shove a microphone in his face 
And Kevin says, I want to give the glory to God and thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they couldn't pull the microphone away because ESPN hates that stuff. And they had no choice in the matter. He who honors me, I will honor. Faithful in the small things. Back to our story here. So David got five smooth stones. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The sling back in the day, just so you know, like 3,000 years ago, they didn't have surgical tubing. They had two leather straps with a pouch in the middle. You put the rock in the pouch, you put the two straps together, and you sling it around, and you let go of one of those straps, and whew, it slings out. This is what David's got. He advances. The Philistine moves forward, comes near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him because he's just a youth. He's ruddy and handsome, but he's just a kid. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Now, I grew up in church. The flannel graph didn't ever tell that story about cut off your head. David lays it out there for him. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord God, and I'm going to cut your head off. I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into our hand. The Philistine arose and came through and near to meet David. David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, struck him and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. What do you think he did? He ran over. He took Goliath's sword and cut off his head. And the victory was won that day. Matter of fact, it says that uh, Israel chased chased the uh, Philistine army all the way out of the, out of their land. Chased them all the way back to Gath. The victory belonged to God. The thing here is David was faithful in the small things. He was faithful to those few sheep. He was faithful when a lion or a bear or anything came out against those sheep. I can just imagine him out there. It's gotta be somewhat of a boring job to tend the sheep, right? To be a shepherd. And so he's just out there, got nothing to do. Knocking, rock, knocking pop bottles off the fence post. You know, slinging the stones. Practice, practice, practice. Faithful with the small things. But here's the really cool thing. David goes on and he becomes king over Israel and Judah. He expands the territory to the greatest point that it would ever be in all of history. The Israel under David's reign was larger than it is now. Larger than it ever was at the time since then. Because uh, David's son Solomon took over after that. And then Solomon's son Rehoboam split the kingdom and it kept shrinking since then. So David prevailed, expanded the territory, used by God greatly. Let me flip you over to the end of David's life. This is 2 Samuel chapter 21. There was war again with the Philistines and David went with his servants and they fought against the Philistines and David grew weary. This is like 40 years later, 40 or 50 years later. This is way, David's getting to be um, a little bit long in the tooth, I guess you'd say. Ish, 
Ishbi Binob, one of the descendants of the giants who spear away 300 shekels of bronze, who was armed with a new sword, thought he was going to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, hey, you can't come into battle anymore. Um, you're the light of Israel. we got to protect you at home. Next up, there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sebeki, the Hushathite, struck down Saph, who was one of the descendants of the giant. There was again war with Philistines at Gob, and Elhanan, son of Jared Janorum, the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was yet war again, and, and there was a giant with six toes, six fingers, and he gets killed by somebody else. Here's the point. There are four different times that at the end of David's life, people are just killing giants one after another. When we stepped into our story, what did we read about Saul? Head and shoulders taller than everybody else, the man who should be leading the charge, and he's afraid of one giant. David says, I'll be faithful. I'll do what God's given me to do. Step up to the fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. I believe in God. I'm going to do it. At the end of David's life, everybody's killing giants. Now we come back to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus telling the story of the talents, the parable of the talents. Faithful with a little, I'll make you faithful with, you'll, I know you'll be faithful with more. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. From, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, Jesus, that just sounds awful. Now listen, we're not talking about salvation here. For by grace you have been saved, it's not of works lest anyone should boast. You don't earn your way into God's good graces. You don't earn your way into salvation. But what you can do is you can be passive. You can be totally, you can be Saul. God, I don't need you. I'm going to take the talent that you gave me, the million and a half dollars, or whatever it is, the huge, enormous wealth that God has given every single one of us, the uniqueness that he created us with, the purpose that he created us for since before the beginning of time, I'm going to bury it in a hole. I'm going to live my life my way. And there's going to be a reckoning someday. You know how you kill giants? Except Jesus Christ is your Savior. You make Him the Lord of your life. And then you step into every opportunity that He gives you. If you're a janitor, you have the cleanest floors that your company has ever seen. If you're a sales rep, you do the best job that you can. I'm a sales rep. Preaching to myself here. Because I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.17 again. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything through the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's how you take those talents and you multiply them. And that's how you live. The kingdom of God is like Jesus started that. How are you going to be ready when Jesus comes back? That's exactly it. Faithful with the small things, killing lions. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the reminder that you are so good. You have blessed us beyond measure. We can't even fathom what a talent is. But we know it's good. I know that you have gifted every single person here that we all have influence. 
that at the end of our lives, when we give our lives to you, there will be people that follow in our footsteps and giants start falling one after another like it's just common, ordinary, everyday life. Lord, that's what I want in my life. That's what I want for everybody here. If there are people here that have not made Jesus the Lord of their life, Lord, would you convict them? Those of us that haven't maybe been living right, would you convict us? And would you draw us to yourself to use us for your glory and draw the whole GNCC race and nation to yourself? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for hanging out with me. If you're racing tomorrow, go get them. Uh, otherwise, my name's Chuck. Come see me. Love to talk to you.